Don't you love it? Don't you absolutely love it when the doctor says this, this may hurt a little bit? <laughs> or if Sheila was a dental hygienist for a long time, and, and I imagine you've uttered those words, this may hurt a little bit because you've got so much tartar and plaque on your teeth, we're just going to get a chisel out and chisel away. It may hurt a little bit, but you know you've got to go through it because at the end you're going to get better, right? I'm just warning you, the first part of this message is going to hurt a little bit. If you're going to listen to the Spirit, you're going to listen to your heart, you're going to listen to the Word of God, this just may hurt just a little bit because Paul is going to tell us to stop, wait for it, complaining. Complaining. Easy to be a complainer. Why? Because it appeals to our flesh. It appeals to the old man, the old woman that we were before we gave our life to Christ. Complaining isn't new either. It's been around as long as Adam and as Eve. I could say it this way. Complaining is as old as sin. Got a little quiz. Who's the first person in Scripture that complains? What's that? Satan? I maybe. I don't think so. Adam, Adam blamed God for bringing Eve. That could be, because believe it or not, blaming is an arm of complaining. Did you know that? You can write that down. Blaming is an arm of complaining. It is. But really the first full-blown complaint is when kills his brother. Because this is what happens. He, he, this is a premeditated, cold-blooded murder by luring his younger brother out to the field and he kills him. And then God calls Cain on the carpet and you know what Cain says? My punishment is too much to bear. No, I'm sorry. No repentance. No, no thought about his, his brother, now this is what his, his punishment was. When you work the ground, it shall, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. In other words, your green thumb is now a black thumb. How many of you have a black thumb? Okay. He, what, remember, he, he was a farmer. He was a tiller of the soil. And he had a green thumb. And God says, you're not going to get the strength out of the, the, the ground anymore. You've now gone from a green thumb to a black thumb. And if you can't grow anything, that means you're going to be a wanderer. And that's what he became. He became a scavenger. And he said, whiny, 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 my punishment's too great for me. No tears. No contrition that his brother is dead. Just a complaint. See, complainers have a preoccupation with themselves. His brother is dead, lying, lifeless, and all he can think about is who? Self. That's exactly right. And the focus of Cain's heart is his self. That's pathetic. Can you say pathetic? <laughs> pathetic, yeah. And yet that's our world today, right? Our American culture, we're the richest nation in the world, and yet we consume the most of the entire world. Did you know that? 
We're the richest nation in the world. We consume per capita the most than any other person. And in general, we are a nation of complainers. We're entitled to free medical. We're entitled to free education. You hear the whininess? We're entitled to free money. We're entitled to emphasize. We're entitled to do whatever we want. We're entitled. Have you ever noticed that well-to-do people complain the most? Have you ever noticed that entitled people complain the most? Have you ever noticed that spoiled people complain the most? Okay, I'm, I'm setting you up for a fall here. Just, I'm just wa- waiting for it, okay? Have you ever noticed that pampered and privileged people complain the most? Have you ever noticed that people who feel sorry for themselves complain the most? Have you ever noticed that angry people that don't get their way complain the most? Have you ever noticed that lazy people complain the most? You want me to do what? I just want my paycheck. Come on. Have you ever noticed that selfish people complain the most? Have you ever noticed that intolerant people complain the most? Have you ever noticed that discontented people complain the most? Did you notice that poor people complain the most? No, did you notice that middle class people complain the most? No, no. Did you notice that overindulged adults that act like whiny babies complain the most? Ah, where am I going with all this? Complaining is an attitude that crosses all bounds. You, it's, it's, it's across all bounds. It's, it's not a stereotype. Because complaining... It's a matter of the heart. And dare I say that Christians complain as much as everybody else. Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. I have thought about how often I have complained in just the last week about a guy that's supposed to show up at my house and do some work. And I was convicted that I'm a whiny baby. I'm I'm complaining. Here are some synonyms. Complaining, whining, bellyaching, malcontent, critical spirit, ungrateful, gripe, moan, grouse, mutter, being snarky, being ticked off. And whatever name you call complaining, it's ugly. It's ugly. It's an attitude that says the world revolves around me. I'm a prima donna. How many of you are prima donnas? Okay, Pat's the only honest one. Okay, Diane, we're, we're prima donnas. Self-important. And if I don't get my way, I'm going to throw a fit. I'm going to throw a tantrum if I don't get my way. And let's, let's be real clear. Can, I want you to hear this. Because it's so prevalent in our society, we dismiss it. But being a complainer is sinful. It's an attitude. It's an attitude that's rooted in selfishness. It's an attitude that says, I'm upset because I didn't get my way. I'm upset because things aren't going my way. And we may direct our complaining at someone or something or some situation, but ultimately all complaining finds its feet at the feet of God. 
When we complain, we're really complaining to God passively, backdoor-wise. But when we complain, because aren't we saying, well, you're in control, God. You're, you're in charge, God. You, you've orchestrated all of this. And so if something isn't going my way and I complain, it ultimately finds its way back to the Lord. By complaining, all of our complaining is really directed at God. And it says, I don't like the way you're handling this. I don't know if anybody ever has pointed the finger at you and said, I don't like the way you're handling this. That's what we're doing to God. When we complain, I don't like the way you're handling this. Complaining attacks the relationship you have with God. Complaining attacks the trust that you have built up with God. Complaining attacks the joy that comes from the relationship with God. Show me a wife who complains all the time, and I will show you a miserable marriage and a man that is just beside himself. And some of you said what? Oh, you're all afraid to say amen. Show me a husband that's a complainer. And I will show you a wife who is miserable. Complain, complain. I mean, it's just grating. It's, it's all focused on ourselves. And people complain and whine about the pettiest things. There's no milk in the fridge. Gas went up 20 cents a gallon. The car in front of you is moving too slow. Have you ever complained about that this week? Somebody was tailgating me. I was this, that, blah, blah, blah. Everywhere we look around, we have become a nation of whiners and Christians included, and that is wrong. We are a nation of babies. In fact, let me show you some babies. Oh, yeah, are they, th- are they uh, whiny? Are they grumpy? Are they grousing? Are they com- oh, I love this pout. Look at that pout, look at that pout, look at that pout. That kid's just out of control. Of course, we got grumpy on both sides. How about the next slide? Why are you doing to me what I just finished doing to you? Let's go to the next slide. How many of you have seen this one? Someone call a wamblance. Where? How about the next slide? Oh, you see... Babies throw tantrums and complain and pout and throw fits, and then suddenly we become adults and we do the same thing. How many of you have complained at your computer this week? Complain to your computer about the computer. Yeah. How about the next one? This is probably my favorite. There we are. We're just upset, we're mad, we're angry, and we're complaining about everything, aren't we? We're just a nation of complainers now let's look at this next slide though this is where if we are full of ourselves we cannot be full of joy if we are full of ourselves there's no way you can be full of joy more importantly it's a sinful attitude a sinful attitude that steals your joy god takes it seriously Because a complaining attitude is like an infectious disease. 
Mitch, you start complaining about your vehicle, next thing you know, somebody else is going to start complaining against, about their vehicle. Or if you're complaining against your wife, somebody else starts complaining against their wife. Or if you start, it's just infectious because it appeals to the flesh. It's so easy to complain, isn't it? Do you remember when the nation of Israel... They escaped Egypt, they escaped Pharaoh, and they got into the desert and they started complaining. If you want to, you can turn to this real quick. It's Numbers, Numbers chapter 11. I'm just going to read one verse. It's a long verse, but you'll get it if, if uh, you don't turn there. But Numbers 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 1. This is what it says. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. He says this, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. You with me so far? And when the Lord heard it, his anger was what? Kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Oh, it gets better. Remember the 12 spies that were sent into the promised land? They're going to go in. Ten of them came back and said, oh, yeah, it's beautiful there, but there are giants in the land and we shouldn't go because if we go, we're going to die. And then Caleb and Joshua said, no, it's beautiful. The God is with us. We'll be able to do it. And the ten gave a bad report to the whole nation. So the nation says, forget it, God. We're not going to the promised land. Let me read to you what happens. Uh, Just 14, verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they have grumbled against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead body shall fall in this wilderness, and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me are going to die right here in this desert. And then the ten spies that went and and gave a bad report and complained about the Lord, do you know what happens to them? God sends a plague and they all die immediately. Does God take complaining seriously? He does. And and here's why. Paul's going to tell us why. And he's going to encourage us, but he he had to tell us this. That was the the part that's going to hurt. Because complaining is serious business. He's telling us don't go the way of complainers. And he's going to be very specific, which is really interesting. And he tells us what's at stake if we continue to complain. So you're, you're in Philippians. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to pick up at verse 14. Verse 14, Philippians says this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. 
We're just going to stop right there for a second. Now, you have to remember our context. Joy comes from that sweet spot, remember? Working out our salvation and God doing a work in us. It's that, that beautiful sweet spot. And working out your salvation, we discovered last week, was about being obedient. Humbly submissive and obedient to the things that God has asked us to do. And then we have the example of Christ. In fact, uh, Heather, would you throw that slide up? I made some of you nervous when I did that, when I preached up there. But the whole point was that Jesus did what? He didn't grasp on to claiming to be God, but he opened his hands, right? He, he let go of his rights and he put others above himself and he went down. He was obedient and humble obedience. This is so contrary to what the world says, but this is truth. This is spiritual truth that you have to get into your head, into your heart, and into your hands. Humble obedience brings joy. I can't say it stronger. Why? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Because he let go, he opened his hands, he let go of his rights, and he put others, and he put himself under the authority and obedience of the Father. He saw the joy. He got to have the joy. He didn't complain, he trusted the Father. Please get this. You might have the right to complain. You may have the right to complain. But what did Jesus do? He was silent before his accusers. He let go of his rights. Yeah, you might have the right to complain. But that's not what God's asked you to do. He says in our text, do all things without grumbling. We can suffer without opening our mouths. That's my challenge for you this week. If you're going to suffer this week, don't complain about it. Suffer and keep your mouth shut. And something in the text is going to surprise you what God's going to do with that. If you're obedient, keeping your mouth shut, God's going to do a work in you. That's the amazing thing. That's the, the thing. So let's go back to the text, and we're going to kind of take it piece by piece. He says, do all things. This is an all-encompassing word. It's a radical word. It means total, any, whole, every kind, every way, in every respect, no exceptions, radically means all when he says do all things without and then he goes on and he and he gives us actually two things about complaining do you know there are two parts to complaining one part is grumbling <laughs> muttering things under your breath in fact that's the fill in the blank talking under our breath and it is driven by your emotions it's driven by your feelings refers to the act of expressing one's internal reaction to a situation either to yourself or to others it's funny it's it's a greek word called gogamus we get the word gong from it 
means a muttering, a murmuring, verbalizing your displeasure, saying anything in a low tone and under your breath. Let me tell you, you want to see this in action? Go be a substitute teacher. There are kids that are murmuring because you tell them it's time for math. What'd you say? Nothing. Nothing. Wait a second. We are so guilty of doing the same thing. We grumble. You catch yourself talking to yourself or, or, or even in your own head. Now, the, it's the emotional component to complaining, meaning it's feeling driven, feeling driven. You feel like your rights have been violated because the store didn't honor your coupon, right? You feel that your rights were violated because you didn't get the promotion or you didn't get the raise or you didn't get the grade. You just fill in the blank. It's that feeling that you've been violated. I feel that my rights have been trampled on. feel you go to walmart you you know in the old days you had the 10 items or less line and you went to that line because you had 10 items and the person in front of you had 100 items and you feel like complaining because they shouldn't be able to do that cars merging that's one of the things that i just oh lord help me jesus Two lanes are merging. Everybody else is getting in the the lane that's going to be the flow through. And then there's that one guy that wants to go all the way for a half a mile and then just cut in at the last minute. I feel... Wait, wait, wait. God tells me do all things. Drive a car. I want you, Rob, to drive a car without any grumbling or disputing so the second side okay if if grumbling is this murmuring and this this is my emotional connection to why i think i should be able to complain disputing is a interesting word it's a word that means reasoning most of the times in the new testament is is translated thought in other words let me give you it's, it's making an argument. It's the intellectual side of complaining. If you want to say there's an intellectual side to complaining, it's the word dialogomos. It's an inward reasoning. It's your opinion, a deliberating, a questioning. And it's a word that Paul chose to describe you when you intellectually reason why your rights were violated, or better yet, this is my reason, this is my r- reason why I get to complain. I hired this guy and he should be showing up. Oh, there I go again. See how easy it is just to complain because I'm so used to it. I'm so used to it. It's the argument. It's the side of complaining. It's the argument you use to justify your stinky attitude. It's the thinking of a man deliberating with himself. Guilty as charged? (laughs) Guilty as charged. Well, I feel, and then I reason, oh, those are your two sides of complaining. You've engaged the heart, and you've engaged the mind 
to justify a sinful attitude. Complaining, both the, the grumbling and the disputing, the disputing, the intellectual side, is about hanging on to your rights, hanging on to your likes, hanging on to your needs, your wants, your fears, your expectations. It's the thing that when you wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning, instead of praying to the Lord, you think about how someone did you wrong. Have you been there, done that? Unfortunately, we have been. But what did Jesus do? He opened his hands. He let go of his rights and he put others above him and in humility was obedient to the Father. Didn't complain to the Father. He didn't say, this is your fault. He said, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Let me sum it up in a, in a different kind of way or a, a layman's way, this little point. Have a good attitude as you go down the stairs. Have a good attitude as you go down the ladder. Giving up your rights. It does God no pleasure, brings Him no pleasure, does no good if you, quote, give up your rights but you complain to the whole world about it. How does that bring God glory? By being a whiny little kid. So the second point is this. So it's kind of interesting. Here, here's the, the second fill in the blank. I, I mean the second point. You could throw that up there, Heather. If we, yeah, yeah, if we're full of ourselves, we can't be full of joy. Let's go on to the next one. Oh, man, where did I? I don't know. But that, let's, let's just stop there because that's good. If we're full of Christ, we're full of joy. Jesus says this in John 15. He's up in the upper room. Judas is left. It's now the 11. And he says this. If you keep my commandments, there's the humble obedience. You will abide in my love. These things I have spoken to you that you're what? That my joy, Jesus' joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Full. Full. Now let's go to the next slide. The don't leads to do. Let me explain that. That's cause and effect. I don't even know if that's good grammar, but work with me on it, okay? Don't leads to do. And he says this. Go back to the text. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So there's the don't. Don't grumble. Don't dispute. Don't get emotional about it. Don't get intellectually argumentative about it. That, that word there, in, at least in the ESV, means this is causing that. Are you with me? If you don't grumble and you don't complain, this is what's going to happen. You are going to become blameless. Meaning, your outside reputation of character is going to be known to everyone. If you don't have an attitude of complaining and whining and belly aching and blaming, especially blaming God for your troubles, it's going to produce two things. Blameless means well-behaved, honest, without fault, integrity. It's the outside reputation of character. In other words, unblamed. No one can blame you for causing someone else to stumble. 
faultless. No one can point to you and say, well, that sounds like something Tammy would do. Have you ever heard those words? Oh, that's, or you've thought that about another person? Oh, that's, I can believe that. I can believe that about Mitch. I can believe that about Chris. And you, and you whoa, you know, not that this is you, Chris, but uh, that guy would sue his own mother. And you think, yeah, that, that's something he'd do. Oh, that guy stabbed that guy, uh, another guy at work. He stabbed him in the back to try to get the promotion. And you think, yeah, that's something he'd do. So you can place blame and you can accuse people when they have a reputation on the outside that is grumbling and disputing. Blameless means no one will accuse you of wrongdoing because it's so out of character for you because you're not the one that goes around and blames and complains and grumbles and whines and bellyaches about everybody else and shows that you're a totally selfish person. But if you you are a self-centered whiner, complainer, critical spirit, a bellyacher, it's such a character defect. Catch that. It's such a character defect that it destroys your, reputa- your reputation of having a good character. That makes sense? So catch this. When you stop blaming, you know, that, that form of complaining, and you take responsibility... It causes, it causes you to be blameless. It's interesting. You stop blaming and it changes you, changes you in, a, in a way that you become blameless. You continue to blame, you're going to continue to be blamed. You stop blaming, you stop whining and complaining and suddenly people are going, oh, that's, that's out of character for Victoria. That's out of character for for anyone you run people down that's what complaining is isn't it running people down it destroys trust in your own character your own integrity your own wholeness so when he says don't grumble don't complain don't dispute he says what happens is is your reputation starts to grow and you become faultless nobody's going to accuse you or blame you you're not going to make, cause other people to stumble and the second part of of this not only do you become blameless you become innocent let's look at the next slide innocent is the inside so we dealt with the outside reputation but he says it also changes you on the inside when you stop complaining and you trust god and you're obedient and you're submissive it starts doing something to your heart inside your heart the spirit is working the spirit is working and the word innocent means pure but it also means safe has the nuance of innocence meaning safe or harmless. You know, it's a funny word, this word innocent. It means unmixed. It means a pure substance. The Greeks used it to describe a pure metal or unmixed wine. So if you open your hands, let go of your rights, put others above yourself 
And in humble obedience to the Father, He has a way of transforming your life to suddenly you're blameless and innocent. Purity and unmixing from the world. When you have that beautiful attitude, you don't harm anyone. Isn't that nice? By not grumbling or disputing, you're actually creating safe places. That sounds really politically correct. And I, I actually, should I even say? But that's what it does. When, when you do not blame other people and you are innocent, you create a safety zone in the relationship. I can go and have a great relationship with Chris if there's innocence between us because I know he's safe. You know what I'm talking about? Safe people and not uh, unsafe people. But if I'm whining and complaining about everything, do you think that uh, he's going to think I'm a safe place, that I'm innocent? No. It doesn't work that way. And all this leads to, go back to the text, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. No moral defect. A lamb without blemish. God's children should be like him. Be holy as I am holy. Trusting in God's sovereignty is a beautiful thing that transforms us into beautiful children. Grateful, loving, adoring children. Not whiny, ungrateful, ill-tempered children. Because tantrums are just a nonverbal way for a child to communicate. So I, I need to hurry. I've taken too long. It goes on and it says this. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Crooked, we get the word scoliosis from it. It's the word scolios. I don't know if you ever remember that as a kid. You went into the nurse's office. You had to lift up your shirt. You had to bend over. And they looked at this curvature of your spine to see if it was this way or if it was this way. And this is that word. It means crooked. And that is not a good thing. And he says, we live in the midst of a crooked generation. And you all said, yeah, we do. Morally crooked. To the point where we're discussing and advocating infant side. That a, a woman can give an abortion or have an abortion and if the child is born alive because they didn't separate the head from the body as they pulled it out and they were just trying to kill that if the, the, the baby survives, that the mother can still say, well, I don't know if I want it now. Oh my, are we corrupt? Are we crooked? Are we messed up? And it's interesting, this word twisted, it means to mislead. It means to pervert. It means to turn away the truth. The root word means to spin. That's interesting. We spin every story. That's what fake news is. We get a narrative and we want that narrative to be played out in the world. So we spin the story. We twist the facts. We twist the story to get our agenda across. We live in a crooked and twisted, a spinning the news, spinning the truth. And that's the, uh, against the backdrop of what it says. It says, among whom you shine. As lights in the world. Here's the next fill in the blank. Let's go on to the next one. 
our character, we shine as light. In Christ, we're holding forth the word of life. You realize that? Character and Christ. Those are the two things that we, we have to offer the world. We shine as lights, character, and holding fast or holding forth the word. I love this quote. I don't know if you're done writing, but we can come back if you don't. But look at this quote by John MacArthur. He says this, The quality of your life, the quality, the non-complaining, the non-grumbling, the non-whining, the non-bellyaching, the non-complaining part that's making you blameless and innocent provides the quality of your life is the platform of your personal testimony. Second Corinthians, let me just turn there real quick and just let me, let me read because I, I know I'm out of time. I apologize. It says this, For it was God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That when we live our lives without grumbling or disputing or complaining and whining. He's doing a work in our heart and suddenly we shine. We shine like lights in, in a twisted and crooked world. And then he says, go back to the text. Let me get there myself. holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, that means when Jesus comes back, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We have a pillow that Tammy had made, oh, I don't know how many years ago, and I brought it today. It's out of Third John, it's just verse 4. It says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in faith. That's what Paul is saying. It brings me, he's going to go on in the next two verses and talk about gladness and joy, and that's why we had to get through this thing that kind of hurts, and that is to talk about how are you at complaining? Because this is what brings us joy. When our children are walking in truth, it brings us so much joy. And you know that as a parent. So let me say it this way, and I need to close up. When we obey with happy hearts, sometimes you have to tell children that. When you obey with a happy heart, when we go down the ladder with this beautiful attitude, this beautiful, beautiful attitude of being surrendered and trusting God, even when we have our rights violated. As we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, without grumbling or disputing, God does a work in us, transforming us to be His children. And it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. He's making you beautiful. And it fills us with joy, a deep-seated gladness, a peace, a contentedness, knowing that, oh, everything's going to be okay. So my challenge to you as we close and we go into a time of communion, 
Can you reflect upon this week? Did you complain to anybody? Did you complain to yourself? Did you grumble? Did you mumble? Did you murmur against another person but ultimately back to God? That somehow you're telling God that he's not doing what you want him to do? And would you release those arguments? Would you, would you just open your hands, let go of your rights, and put others above yourself, and in humble obedience come down? And God will start doing that work in you. So the work begins today. If you can know in this time of communion, and you say, Lord, I, I don't think I'm a complainer. Maybe you're convicted already like I was. Oh, my stars studying this week. I'm like, I am such a lousy complainer. Shame on me. Who likes to be with a complainer? Who really likes to be a, with whiners and people that throw tantrums and are always constantly belly aching? Is that, is that beautiful? That's ugly sin. And I'm convicted of it. Let me pray.